Brothers and sisters, afternoon, how are we? Good, good. Hey, I'm excited to start this new series, and we have a ton of groundwork to cover, so let me go ahead and dive us right in. As we mentioned last week, uh, and probably for the next few weeks, we'll mention it as uh, we kind of start off series. We want to zoom in on who we are as a church and our identity as a church, what we're asking God for, what we believe He is leading us to, and uh, what we're hoping for Him to do in and through us in this city, in this state, in this nation, in this this world even. And as we zoom into our identity in each of the upcoming sermon series or retreats or classes throughout this year, we're going to really focus on, hey, here's who we feel like God has called us to be as a church, and here's where we feel like God is leading us towards as the people of God as well. Uh, Some of this effort is actually historical uh, to regain the identity of who we are because COVID sucks and has sucked in many different ways. Uh, One of them being that we literally weren't able to gather as a people of God for over a year. And when we're not able to do that, it's easy to forget uh, really who God is calling us to be because we've had a hard time gathering to remind each other of that and even discipling or encouraging each other in that because it doesn't just happen from the pulpit or preaching. It happens as we are with one another as well, which we were unable to do for the past year. I mean, imagine if you are married and if you did not see your spouse for 16 months, right? So you were still connecting on Zoom or something like that, but you had not actually seen them face-to-face for 16 months. It might be easy to forget some of the things that your spouse likes or doesn't like or pet peeves or you're like, man, I forgot that you're a Cabernet person, not a Malbec person. Like, I just ain't seen you in a while, right? And for some of us, we actually uh, got married to the well over the period of COVID. And so connecting online, but never in person. So imagine that sort of marriage, right? Like all of a sudden you're married and you've never lived together. And you're realizing now that you're finally living with one another, that this sinner squeezes the toothpaste from the middle rather than the bottom. And you're having to adjust, right? And so some of us historically, hey, who has God called us to be? Some of us are new in this and we're like, that's where y'all squeeze the toothpaste at? And we wanna just connect together as a people of God. So this next year, we're zooming in to different convictions and distinctives, looking at who God has historically called us to be and what we wanna keep, and also the vision in the future where we feel like God is calling us towards. Really briefly, we have a list of core convictions and a list of distinctives, and you'll see them there on the screen. We say overarching that we want to exalt, disciple, and send. That is what we want everybody, whether you're a member or a guest, to know and to understand about us. Within this, there are these 10 core convictions, and these are things that uh, we are always going to do that we believe will help us exalt the name of Jesus, make disciples and be disciples, and send individuals and churches and live as sent people in the world around us. This is who we are at our core. These are things that we will never change. However, This should be core in most churches. And how we do these, though, within different contexts, it may vary. And that's actually where our distinctives come in. And so today and for the next three weeks, we're going to be focusing on reaching the lost, that first one under disciple, and our distinctives within this. The well does not just exist for us. We exist for the world around us as well. Amen? 
We want to see people who do not know Jesus, who are hurting or broken or lost or thinking that they are living their best life, but missing the fact that even though they may be gaining the world, they are ultimately losing their soul in the process. Like we want to see these people come to know and to love and to believe and to follow Jesus. We love each other. And in fact, I hope that this is one of the main things that defines who we are as the people, a beautiful, awesome, loving, sacrificial community that fights for one another all the time. But within this, we want to invite others into this home as well. We want to reach the lost. And so we want to have a heart for the law, seeing that this is God's heart as well. And we want to be strategic with how we reach the city and how we push back darkness, even the darkness in other people's hearts, how we do that together. And so there's a heart posture that we want to have and a strategy for reaching those who do not profess our loving and gracious Savior as Lord. And so when we say reach the lost who aren't yet in the family of God, what do we mean by that? Well, the definition is there on on the screen, I know you can read, but I want to read it for us as well. Reach the lost. That's our core conviction, right? What does that mean? Well, we say that every soul is one Jesus longs for. Real quick, that's in blue because that's one of our distinctives, a thing that makes us a little bit different maybe than other churches as well. Every soul is one Jesus longs for. We want each covenant member to believe this. Discipleship does not just include making those who already believe stronger in their faith. Throughout scripture, discipleship also includes reaching the lost and bringing them into the kingdom. Lots of Bible verses. God has called each Christian to reach the lost. Lots of Bible verses. And often God calls individuals to specific groups of people or locations. Lots of Bible verses. We desire that every Christian is making disciples wherever they go. Great commission. However, we also want every member to feel responsible for one place. There's the blue again, our second distinctive within reaching the lost. A specific location or people group that they're intentionally investing in, seeking to allow the gospel to permeate through them there. Our goal should be that every person hears the good news of Jesus Christ and hopes that God would work in their hearts and bring them to himself. Scripture. Now, For the vets, you may realize that we've actually changed, or rather we've added to our distinctive and core conviction there. Formerly, our distinctive was just every soul is one Jesus longs for, and that is obviously still there. We are distinct in that we think every individual human is worthy of the blood of Jesus and that the opportunity for them to know Christ is open for them. And we want to pursue this. We want to pursue them in the process, realizing that nobody is too far from the grace of God. Nobody is too close to not need him either. All of us need the blood of Jesus. However, we realize that within this, we were missing the how that we were going to do this as the people. And so we had the heart posture, but we are missing the how posture in the midst of this. And so that's what the rest of the series is focused on, this idea of one place. What does that mean? What does that look like? We want each covenant member to be intentional and to choose a place or a people group or a location and that they would see that as their mission field where God has called them and that they are seeking uh, an intentional witness there. We think that if we're intentional in specific places where God has placed us or where we feel called to, we'll see the cities, we'll see our communities, we will see our family changed. 
This might be our campus or our workplace or our neighborhood or our family members or our apartment complex or our cubicle section or the street that we live on or a neighborhood park or the gym that we go to or the coffee shop that we often visit or a barber shop. My barber definitely needs Jesus Christ. <laughs> you ain't see it coming. Hallelujah. <laughs> Y'all get the picture, right? Like we want to choose something intentionally. So this isn't to say that this is the only place that we care about or the only place where we're proclaiming Jesus. All right, we are proclaimers as we go. We have that even in our definition, right? It is to say, though, that if we're intentional in these areas, then I think that we'll see change. Just like we can't literally be friends with everyone at the well, and so we're intentional in our groups or in our serving teams or whatever they might be to fight for community there, so it is also true that no individual can see a whole city reached with the love of Jesus by themselves, and so we fight for intentionality where God has us in hopes that he would use us to make much of Jesus in those places. And so let's dive into our text today and see why we have a heart for the loss, see why we're focusing on a place or a people group, and then give us some tools and some prayer application that will really tee up the rest of this series. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Trevor already read that for us. And first, I want us to see God's heart for the people who are far from him and our ministry call within that. And then we'll get to the practical. So the heart and the ministry is first. There's a ton of meat to this text, all right? We're going to have to leave a ton of ingredients in the kitchen today, but let's still make this meal together. Let's look at some of the beauty of this passage. Paul begins by saying he regards no one according to the flesh, not even Jesus. Once he saw Jesus as just a human, a man walking around Galilee, but now he realizes he is so much more. He is spirit. He is God. Similarly now, because of Jesus, he realizes that there are no mere mortals. No one is simply human. We regard no one according to the flesh. We, as people, do not just live, breathe, die, and then cease our existence. We are eternal. We are spiritual beings with a spiritual, physical destination. We will either live forever or we will die forever, and this creates an urgency for people to know God. He goes on to say that for those who believe they are a new creation, why? Because God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. We see several things here that actually highlight our first distinctive, that every soul is one Jesus longs for. There's a lot in this text that would highlight that. He says, now we regard no one according to the flesh, aka everyone has a soul. Everyone is valuable. We talk about the image of God in each other often and we celebrate and highlight diversity partly for this reason that we are each image bearers of God. We each have the spirit of God naturally inside of us that literally by our culture and who God has made us to be, we should be highlighting part of the beauty of Christ. Our love for humans and our love for individuals, therefore, because of texts like this, should actually be heightened in a lot of clear ways. Even though currently the news media and social media tries to dull our affection for humanity, the Bible always tries to highlight it and heighten it. 
we see everyone spiritually. Notice in verse 19, God is trying to reconcile the world to himself, it says there. And so every soul is one that Jesus longs for. The word reconcile here is actually a very important word as we've been reconciled and given the ministry of reconciliation, this passage says. At its core, the definition for reconcile just means bringing two parties together that are estranged or in dispute. There was beef, we squashed a beef, now we boys. <laughs> Friends again, okay, right? So listen, don't, don't miss the power of this. There was beef between you and God. There was hostility, a separation because of an offense, our sin. Through Jesus, God reconciled, squashed the beef. He removed the offense, and now we can have relationship with the God of the universe again. I love what the Holman Bible Dictionary highlights about this word and about this passage. Speaking about biblical reconciliation and giving examples of it in scripture about where humans were reconciled, it says this. It says, in these instances where humans were reconciled, the offenders can only confess their fault, offer reparation, buzzword, oops, and seek forgiveness. The final decision rests with the injured party who will either grant a reprieve or continue the estrangement. In the restoration between God and humanity, reconciliation occurs with an unexpected twist. God, the injured party, takes the initiative from our passage here. This uh, uh, initiating, reconciling action from God is contrary to expectations The removal of alienation created by man's sin is the work of God. I love this. Praise God. Though we were offenders, in a sense, wounding God because of our sin against him. Though God could not be wounded, there was clear separation that was because of our offense. Rather than us fixing the problem or us trying to create a remedy, we could not do that because our sin created a separation. We were no longer perfect. And in order to be in the presence of God, you must be perfect. That is what our mistakes cause. But God instead steps out and fixes the problem for us. Hallelujah, right? In the death of Jesus, God did not count our sins against us, is what the passage says there. And if we believe by faith in this work of God, then we are redeemed or atoned for or brought back into relationship with God, amen? This is the gospel that you can now have life again. You were created to be in intimate fellowship with God. And when you aren't, friends, you will always feel that void. And you will always feel like there's something missing. Even as Christians, we know that to be true, that though we have tasted the goodness of God, when we decide to wander away, we feel the void in our hearts and we need the goodness of God to come back again. You will always feel the void and the farther from God, the bigger the void. But Jesus made it possible to be a new creation, restored, to have that void no longer, his blood reconciled. But not only are we now made right with God, though this is the beauty of the gospel, we are also now, by God's grace, able to step into the game and imitate Jesus as well. 
In other words, your life now has meaning, purpose, value. You're here for a reason, y'all. Just as he came and offered and preached to us reconciliation, now we get to imitate Christ and have the ministry of reconciliation as well, offering it to others as examples and proclaiming to others, literally imploring them, begging them that they might find life in Jesus. When we talk about being transformed into the image of Christ or into a new creation, we often think about uh, the removal of sin and the putting on of the Spirit of God in our life. So we're like, hey, I want to be more like Jesus. We think about things like being more patient or more kind or more loving or less sinful. And this is all true. This is what it means to be like Jesus. But part of the way that we model or imitate Christ, part of the way that we become like Christ is also by proclaiming the same gospel that he proclaimed, being messengers just like he was. And we're passionate about this, y'all, because I'm passionate about you experiencing life. And I believe that life is best experienced when you look like Jesus because that's what you were designed to look like. In fact, this won't be on the screen, but uh, in Philemon uh, chapter 1, of course I chose a one-chapter book of the Bible, There it is. Philemon 1, verse 6. Listen to this real quick. It says, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Did you catch that? The sharing of your faith is effective for the full knowledge of God. Knowing God is what gives us life. In fact, in John chapter 17, verse 3, it says, to know God and Jesus Christ whom he sent, this is eternal life. How do we know God? It's by imitating him. What did he do? He made much of the Father. And he told people the way to the Father. Quick note about the gospel here, by the way, that Paul is proclaiming. There's such a contrast between like the fire and brimstone preaching that you see, right? That's full of fear or the concern about hell. And this passage is a lot more about the love and the joy and the hope and receiving the goodness of the gospel. Let me say it like this. If our message of proclamation is fear or shame or guilt-ridden, that is others' beginning view of who Jesus is. And listen, there's truth to that to an extent. I don't want to downplay this, right? God is a just God, and sin ruins God's just world, and it ruins the people that God desperately loves. And so there are consequences for our sin. This is important for us to understand. But if you notice, so much of the gospel message in the New Testament is about light or love or joy or hope or grace or mercy, drawing people into the goodness of God. The New Testament is not shy about telling us what we deserve. Each of us deserves separation, but that's not the good news or gospel. That's what the word gospel means, good news. That's why we need the gospel, right? The gospel is that the goodness of God and the grace of God has not given us what we do deserve, but has given us what we do not deserve in the Son, Jesus. Eden is open again. Come in and find life. And so we've been given a ministry of reconciliation and a message of reconciliation. Like, look at the mercy of God here, y'all. 
and, and the grace and the love of God. He longs for reconciliation. That word is used four times in like two and a half verses there in 2 Corinthians. Every soul is one Jesus longs for. Your soul, friend, the Son of God longs for it. He longs to find intimacy with you. And now this ministry is given to us by Christ. We are now ambassadors, that text says. Uh, this is such strong and powerful language if we think about it. We are ambassadors of Christ. We have been entrusted, is that word there, with a ministry of reconciliation. He, we are imploring others. Think about the strength of that word. Or God is making his appeal to humanity through us. Sheesh, right? Like, like, why us? That word appeal, the Greek word there is the word parakaleo. Para just means with, like paramedic. And kaleo means to call or command or beseech or even to beg and to plead. Now, this is really strange language for an ambassador, isn't it? To be calling or pleading with someone that's not normally what we think that an ambassador does, but such is the glory of the gospel. You do not serve a God whose arms are folded, is waiting for you to crawl, hands in knees, pleading for your pardon. You serve a God whose arms are open, who is coming to you, pierced through the hands and the feet, and is telling you to ask for pardon. He's the one pleading with you. Listen, if there's separation that exists between God and an individual, that separation is on man's part, not on God's. God made a way. God wants you to be reconciled. He longs for us to come to him. There is no other God like this family. All other gods stay lofty. Our God got lowly that you might be elevated one day to literally, Revelation says, be on the throne with him. What in the world? Look at the goodness of our God. Praise God. I'm all off my notes, shoot. All right, look, an ambassador, okay, that's where I was at, all right? An ambassador is sent to a foreign land to represent that homeland in whatever place they are sent. Hence, exiles in a strange land, our last sermon series. This earth is not our home. We've been effectively removed from it on a destination to a true and better place. But while we're here, God has commissioned us to represent him. And we represent him by telling others that God wants a relationship with them, that they can have a relationship with God, that he wants to know them and they him as well. This is the heart of evangelism, y'all. It's telling others the good news, that Jesus died so that we might have life or blessing or hope or beauty or joy or love or whatever it is that their souls need. You see, here's the beauty of the gospel. All of us are soul starving in different ways. The gospel answers every desire of our soul. And so we find where there's a void and say, oh, I know the person who can fill that. 
I know the remedy maker. His name is Jesus. Sometimes we even do this through our testimonies and our stories, or check y'all, even our present failures. I know what always happens at evangelism sermons at this point of the sermon, so I want to address it really directly, okay? Like, think about how Jesus showed us and and, uh, the ultimate ambassador, who he was for us. He showed us what heaven was like, and he showed us what the Father was like. He represented God to us. Now we get to do that for others even in our brokenness, y'all. Think about it. Jesus became sinful for us, that text says. God made him who knew no sin to be sin, that we might become the, the or so that we might become, God made him to be sin, knew no sin, so we might become the righteousness of God. Thank you. Now, listen, we don't become sinful with others. That's not what this text is saying. But we are sinful like others, Each of us needs the grace of God too. So even our failures are a chance for us to run to grace and to tell others that that same grace can be had if they too would just run to Jesus. Like, I don't think y'all hear me this afternoon. Y'all tracking with that? Right? Like, Like, you are useful no matter what your current position is. You hear that? I think some of us need to receive that in our souls. Like, as long as Jesus is your heart and focus, as long as you are trying to run to Jesus, then you can be a witness for him. Because even in our extreme brokenness, we can still run to Jesus, and that becomes a witness to the world around us. We are also like God, not up here, high and lofty. Yes, we have been redeemed. Hallelujah. Yes, we are being made more like God. Hallelujah. But Lord, we are still broken. And while we search and fish and fight for holiness, which is ours in Christ, even in our failures as we turn to Christ, we can show others what it means to turn to Jesus as well. Even in your brokenness, you can be a witness. So do not allow your present position to stop you from evangelizing. You're in the game if you're a Christian. Let's get in and play. This is what God is calling us to, right? I mean, Lord, of all the times that people need the grace of God, isn't now a heightened time, y'all? Like 2020, 2021, social media, everybody does everything wrong and everybody just is broken and lonely and hurting and doesn't know what the right and wrong thing to do is. The whole world is hostile to everything that we do, yet we serve a savior who forgives and who cleanses and who loves. We can point the world to him. Also, y'all, notice how Paul doesn't give empty condemnation here. Like, you should be sharing the gospel or else you're not a faithful Christian, right? And unfortunately, that's how some evangelism sermons are preached and even some ministries that focus around evangelism kind of posture themselves in some ways. Paul isn't saying that you have to do this. He's saying you get to do this. This is a privilege of the gospel. For whatever reason, God has found you to be faithful to share his goodness and grace with the world, to represent him. Do I hear that? Like, for whatever reason, even in all your brokenness and all your inadequacies, God has chosen you to be his representation. You are a representation of God, or the scriptures are a lie. We represent him. And this is a beautiful thing. In fact, maybe it's because of your brokenness that God has chosen you. Maybe your weakness makes him look dope. 
and draws people to him. None of us deserve to represent, but each of us have a privilege to, and this is crazy cool. So we share the gospel not out of duty, but rather out of delight. We share the gospel not out of obedience to the law, but rather in delight of our Lord and Savior. We get more of Jesus when we share, so we desire more of Christ, and we want others to know and see Christ. This is the motivation of us sharing the gospel. Look, y'all, evangelism is a supernatural thing. Like God revealing himself through you is what 2 Corinthians 5 says, right? Him making his appeal through you. Like this is powerful, y'all. God could do miracles through your mouth. When you open it and if others receive it, then literally you are taking what was dead and what was empty and what was soul starved and you are bringing that to life through the spirit of God who is at work within you. You can do miracles today. And we do it through our sharing of the gospel. And so there's the heart, y'all. Every soul is one that Jesus longs for. We have a ministry. We want to reach the lost. But how do we do this? What is this whole one place thing? Why are we thinking about one location as a church? Man, y'all be asking great questions sometimes. Tease me up to my last point, all right? Very, very briefly, okay? Because we're gonna dive into this more throughout this series and get more practical too. But the elders realize that God often does a lot of his work through individuals in specific places and context. Like an ambassador is sent to a specific foreign land to represent a specific area, not just kind of randomly represent as he or she goes along. So we can be intentional about our representation as well. Flip over to Acts chapter 17 with me really quickly, and it'll be on the screen too if you don't have your Bibles. Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 26, Paul is given this long uh, 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 sermon about God and how God is redeeming people to himself. And then he says this in verse 26, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Now ready, zoom in having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each of us. So each of us have been placed in the century and the location, and the skin color, and the socioeconomic status, and the family, that, so that we might have the best chance of finding our way towards God. Can we just worship God for his faithfulness real quick, y'all? Like, praise God. Like, if I would have been born a woman, or in the 14th century, or in Houston rather than Detroit, or to a rich family in wedlock rather than a poor family of a 17 and an 18-year-old kid, I may not know Jesus right now. And so despite all the struggle that my life has brought, I know Jesus, I would suffer 10,000 times what I suffered that I might know Christ. And this is true for each of us who profess faith in Jesus, right? But if this is true for our salvation, isn't it true for others as well? Are y'all tracking with where I'm going with this, right? The student at UT who thinks that they were there by their own will and power, not realizing that God has sovereignly placed them in the time that he has and has so orchestrated their life, giving them opportunities to come to know him in the process, 
they might find God. And meaning, maybe he's also placed you at UT to be the ambassador or the minister of reconciliation that they might come to know God through you. Maybe there's a reason you live in that neighborhood or a reason you work in that field or reason you serve those children, or reason that you were born into an unbelieving household that even to date mocks your Christian faith. Maybe God has placed you there, not just for your salvation, but also for theirs as well, that they might find their way towards God through you. Can I read a ton of scripture here real quick? It'll be on the screen, so you don't have to flip around, but uh, Romans eleven thirteen. this is Paul, okay? He says, now I am speaking to you Gentiles, Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. Romans 15, 15. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 9, verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Paul, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Galatians 1.15, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, Acts 17, and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Who was Paul called to? Gentiles, right? Like over and over and over and over again. For sake of time, I'm gonna skip Peter's as well, but if you look through Peter's, he was very clearly called to the Jews. And you think about Abraham or Noah or Jonah or Isaiah or Nehemiah or Ezra or Jeremiah. If you're familiar with the biblical narrative, God places people in certain areas and in certain regions and gave them certain gifts that they might win a certain people to himself. In fact, is there anyone in the Bible who isn't called to a specific group or people or location or mission? Like it seems like almost everyone was given a specific role. Jews or Gentiles or rulers or the world, right? Or this eunuch or this tribe or this family. God wants to reconcile the world to himself and uses us to do it and even calls us to specific contexts that we might do it there. And so we just wanna be intentional where we are and we say this is what we want our one place to be. That we be intentional with where God has placed us believing we ain't mistakes, y'all. God don't make mistakes, and even where we are right now is not a mistake. Now, this one place idea, it can change for us, okay? It has for me multiple times over the years. Brief examples, I remember being in college and going into my junior year, I was gonna live off campus because my college, first two years, you had to live on campus, and they were like, you free? And I was like, I'm gonna be free for real. But then I heard this sermon about how we should live in the dorms to like reach people because there's just more people in the dorms. 
And I felt convicted by it. And I don't think that's true for everybody. Some people can go live where they wanted. But I felt like God was telling me, I want you in the dorms as well. And so my junior year, I lived back in the dorms. And they placed me in the baseball floor because I was a former athlete as well. And so here I am with all these baseball players. And I started this Bible study. And it wasn't like 35 people got saved. It was real slow at first, y'all, okay? And every week I was having this Bible study. And there were two people, then three people. But then the fourth guy came, and this guy is who we would call biblically a person of peace. Like this person was the access way into the rest of the team. And so literally he began to come and was like, yo, this is dope. Like he ain't a believer, all right, but he's really digging this whole Jesus thing. So he would go on Tuesday nights and he would knock on people's doors like boom, boom, boom. Hey, come to Bible study, it's Bible study time. And some people would naturally come, boom, 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 next door. Hey, come to Bible study. The guy's like, man, I got a a final tomorrow. He's like, man, you're going to be in effing hell. (laughs) Like, but really said it because he's not a Christian, okay? And I'm like, look, I ain't saying nothing, right? And the guy's like, you don't even believe. You're going to go to hell too. He was like, that's why I'm going, dog. And all of a sudden, through this one person of peace, what went from four turned to 26 people in this Bible study. And God was doing all of this work. And irony, with me, this guy never professed faith, but there were other people who did. One of them is a worship pastor now. And so God used that. I thought it'd be the same my senior year. So I went back into the dorms, no fruit there. I was trying and trying and trying, there was no fruit. But in my, uh, uh, my major, I had this group of people that we did everything with, and we kind of cheated it because I was like a good communicator, one guy was a good researcher, one girl was like good at writing papers, and one person, I don't know what they did, <laughs> but I was sharing the gospel with her, so that's all right, all right? But we would literally do all these projects together, and man, God was doing a good work there in my one place there. We moved to Austin, I moved to the east side to plant the well, and in my neighborhood, there's all these people, many of whom I still have a relationship with today. And then we moved and didn't find a ton of fruit in our new neighborhood, but I started going to Gregory at UT and meeting people there. Literally just Friday, met some guy named Gary that I was like, yo, you can get Jesus too, dog, right? Not in that way though, it was in a, in a, in a fun way, okay. And man, we're actually moving again soon. And I feel like God has already placed on my heart, we're gonna be one of the first people in this new neighborhood of about 120 houses. I wanna be a witness there, y'all. And so where are you going to be intentional? Where has God called you? Why are you in that job, in this family? Who, even as I'm talking, is the Holy Spirit putting on your heart even right now, y'all? Who is the Holy Spirit speaking to? Here's what we wanna do for y'all. We're gonna name this throughout the series, so don't feel rushed today. I'm gonna blaze through it, okay? But if you go to thewellaustin.com forward slash evangelism, we have this little tool that we're going to use. And this tool is very, very, very simple. You can see it up there. We wanted to give something that was memorable, but that created intentionality for us. Don't get all doctrine with this, y'all. This is just a tool, all right? We want to pick one place. Be intentional there. Where is your place? Within that, we say we hope that you would spend two hours a month praying for that place. Now, I don't mean two hours on your knees, in your closet. Like when I was walking to Gregory on Friday, I just prayed real quick. God, would you give me favor here? And he did. Somebody stopped me. I didn't even stop him. That you would spend at least three hours of presence there a month. So you're intentionally going to that coffee shop. Or when you're at work, you're not just at your cubicle the whole time. You're intentionally in the break room trying to find relationship. 
Our hope is that you would see four proclamations or you would share the gospel clearly four times throughout the year and that you would have relationships with five different people so that in hopes God would draw them to himself. You see all the P's there? Super pastoral move, all right? I was fighting for one of the P's. I won't tell you which one. (laughs) All right, now listen, this isn't a series, okay? This isn't an event. We wanna make this uh, distinctive of our church because we wanna be intentional with it. And so go to this. You could download it on your phone. You can, mine is saved on my home screen. So I just click on it and I can type notes in there as well. It reminds me to pray for Gary. I would not remember that man's name if I did not write it down at that moment. But now next time I see him, man, I've been praying for him and maybe believing that God would open up a door in your community groups, in discipleship relationships. Use this. You can say like, hey, what's your place? What is God doing in that place? And begin to use it in that way. We'll get more practical over the next three weeks. Prayer, how do we overcome our fears? What are specific tools? But I just want to ask us, what would it look like if our church actually did this? Like, what would it look like if all of us just focused on the different areas that God has us? I really believe that Austin would change, y'all. Here's the deal. Jesus focused on one place. It was the world. And he was sent as an ambassador for God to be proclaimers of the gospel on behalf of God. He represented God to us. And now he likewise commissions us to represent him to others as well. And so I pray that that's what we would do, that we would see this world fall in love with Jesus, this God that can save us from ourselves even, that others would believe in him as well. We want to be a church for the world. Amen? Hey, more to come throughout this, but I hope you're encouraged in this. Try it out, y'all. Try it out. And let's begin to put this in practice. Amen? Hey, I love you guys. Let's pray. Yeah, Jesus, thank you. Um, God, I pray a couple of really specific things. Uh, One, Christ, I actually pray that this would remove the burden that we so often feel with evangelism. It's like we see the whole world and we feel the lostness. We're like, what am I going to do about it? God, I pray that being intentional in one spot, maybe even commissioned by you, Holy Spirit, that that would create a release of burden and a joy I pray that we would joyfully share, not burdenly share as a body. In fact, Holy Spirit of God, I pray even right now, in just 15 seconds of silence or so, that you would speak to us about where you want us to be intentional, that you would speak to us about who you want us to share with and why you have us at this place, and that you would put one place on our heart even right now. And so we listen for you, Spirit of God, speak to us. God, I pray for those in this room who may not know you. They may not have a relationship with you. Listen, friends, we're doing this because we believe that in Christ is eternal life. We want you to know Jesus. 
We want you to know Jesus. And you can. His arms are open. He has made a way. If you want relationship with God, you simply say, I, I want to follow you. And you can. And God, I pray for those of us who have made you our God, who have surrendered to you as our Lord, who follow you as our Messiah. God, I pray that whether it be our family or a neighbor or coworkers or whether you're calling us to Lebanon, that wherever our one place may be, that you would help us to be faithful to you, Jesus. I want you to be God known. I want you to be known. Use us to make you famous, Jesus. We love you, Christ. We praise things in your beautiful name. Amen.